You can be seated. Jesus, your mercy is all my plea. Whatever I need most, whatever I think I lack, it's always what I need most, the mercy of Jesus. I hate to state the obvious. Everyone who's a regular attender knows this, but Mike, well done picking out songs week in and week out. You do a fantastic job helping us worship Jesus. Amen. Thank God for you, Mike. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your mercy. It's all our plea. It's all our ground. It's all our hope today. Your mercy. We have nothing in ourselves to commend to You. We have nothing to bring You that will commend our souls to You. We only have Your mercy. We only have the sacrifice of our Savior. And so we thank You for it. We thank You for this sure and steady anchor. This anchor that is steadfast and rock solid no matter the storms that rage. Thank You for all that You are for us and all that You have done for us. We love You. We praise You. You are our treasure. And as we look into Your Word now, Lord, I just want to cry out, I don't want to do this without You. I do not want to do this without You. And so would You come and enable me, fill me with Your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life. And would You help me to declare this Your Word to Your people. My words are empty. My words cannot make dry bones live, but Your words can. All our confidence is in You, the God who raises the dead. The God who, through Your Word, has the power to revive our hearts, awaken our souls. And so, Lord, would You do that through Your Word this morning? We are dependent upon You, totally desperate for Your help in this moment. Would You help us to sit on the edge of our seats Hearts bowed to You, eager to hear Your Word, eager to hear You speak in this moment. Would You allow Your Word to penetrate to the darkest and deepest parts of our soul so that we feel the weight of this good news afresh this morning? Would You help us to sense just how awesome this news is? We ask You to do that in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Church family, I thank God for you. I thank God for all the ways you love each other, all the ways that you display the glory of Christ and the way that you care for one another. Thank you for my care, your care for my family over these last few weeks. You are precious beyond comp- comprehension. Well, it is a great joy to ask you to turn with me again to the book of Romans, the greatest letter ever written. In January, we began studying this epic book passage by passage. And one of the things we noted at the beginning of this study in the book of Romans is that Romans seems to always be connected to powerful movements of God's Spirit among His people. J.I. Packer once said, when the message of Romans gets into a person's heart, and I say into a church's heart, there will be no telling what may happen. When the message of Romans gets into our heart, there is no telling what God may do. And one of the reasons Romans is so powerfully used of God is because Romans is about the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Romans 1.16 says, the Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
One of the things we've learned from the first part of the book of Romans is that the Gospel, the power of God for salvation, is not just for unbelievers. The Gospel is not just the message about how we become Christians, but the Gospel is for Christians. The book of Romans was written to the church. As Tim Keller once put it, the Gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, but the Gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The Gospel is not just the diving board into being a Christian, it is the whole ocean we exist in as Christians. And nowhere is this more clear than in Romans chapter 8. The great eight. In any list of people's favorite and most influential chapters of the Bible, you will find Romans 8 there. In fact, if you aren't familiar with the Bible, if you don't yet have a favorite chapter of Scripture, let me invite you to join me on Team Romans 8. There is plenty of room for us all. This chapter is beyond epic. As Packer put it, as Romans is the high peak of the Bible, so chapter 8 is the high peak of Romans. If Romans is the Mount Everest of the Bible, then Romans 8 is the very top of the peak. And over the next about eight weeks, we're going to take some time climbing up the peak of the mountain and just marvel at the breathtaking view it affords. If you're so inclined, let me invite you with me, God willing, to try to memorize this whole chapter as we study through it. What better do you have to do over the next eight weeks than memorize Romans chapter 8? At least memorize a few of the key verses as we move along in this study. So this morning, we're going to look at just the first four verses. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, you can find this in the Bible in the pew rack in front of you. If you grab that hardback Bible, this is on page 944. Romans 8, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit this is the authoritative word of our god may he etch its truth into our hearts now there's some debate as to what exactly this therefore in verse 1 connects to. What conclusion is Paul drawing here? It may be that after the turmoil Paul has expressed at the end of chapter 7, 
where Paul expressed this, this war that rages inside of his flesh, it may be that Paul is contrasting that struggle that all believers have with the victory of the Gospel. He may be saying something like, even though we still battle in this sinful flesh, we know there is no more condemnation. That is gloriously true. But the way I read this therefore is a little different than that. I think this therefore in verse 1 is actually the conclusion to the entire section of the book of Romans that began in chapter 3 verse 21 and went all the way through chapter 7 where Paul has not only explained the gospel of justification by faith alone, but has communicated the significance of that doctrine through our lives. He has explained gospel sanctification. We've been saved by the gospel, and we are continuing to be saved by the gospel. That's what Paul has been explaining in chapters 3 through 7. And he's saying here in 8:1, because the gospel is true and beautiful. Because all of those things I just said are true and beautiful, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But whichever way you see that, therefore, verse 1 is a massively encouraging truth. In fact, Romans 8 here starts with this no condemnation, and it ends all the way in the last verses with the truth of no separation from Christ ever. There will be no condemnation because there is no separation in Christ Jesus. This is the greatest news in all the universe. Now, it seems to me that the theme that ties all of Romans 8 together is the theme of assurance. Paul wants us to know. I mean, he wants us to really know that we will never face condemnation because we have the Spirit of God. We will be glorified because God is with us not against us, and that we will never be separated from the love of Jesus. The message of Romans 8 is that our assurance in Jesus is not thin or shaky. It is sturdy and solid, and it is given to us by the very Spirit of our God. And notice just on the surface of these first few verses of Romans 8, this Trinitarian emphasis that Paul has in these first few verses. Notice, we have no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of life has set us free. And God the Father sent His own to make all of this possible. All so that we would walk according to the Spirit. We have no condemnation in Jesus. The Spirit gives us life. The Father sent His Son to make this possible. All so that we could walk by the Spirit. And so the burden of this passage this morning is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all active in the work of our salvation to assure us that we will never be condemned ever. Let me say that again. The burden of this passage is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all active in the work of our salvation in order to assure us that we will never be condemned ever. 
Friends, there is nothing mid about this. This is precious beyond words. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not against us. Now, with that brief intro to this passage, let me highlight three truths in these first four verses that Paul tells us about our triune God and what He has done for us in Jesus. Three things God has done for us. Three truths about what God has done for us. And so let's just look at these. Let's stare at them. Let's marvel at what our God has done. Number one, notice, in Jesus, God has removed our condemnation. In Jesus, God has removed our condemnation. So verse 1 contains the sweetest truth in all of creation. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, let's read that verse aloud. In, in an attempt for us to go ahead and start memorizing this together, let's say this out loud together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now remember that Paul has just explained the condemnation that we're under up until this point in the book of Romans. Paul has explained this in great detail that we are sinful and that we deserve to be punished under the wrath of God. You see, we owe our entire lives to the God who created us and instead we have all exchanged His glory for created things. We have all given the glory that God alone deserves to things that God has made and none is righteous, Paul has said. Not even one of us and therefore we all deserve God's condemnation. But as Paul has so gloriously explained in chapters 3-7, through Jesus has offered Himself as a sacrifice to pay the penalty, to pay the condemnation that we deserve. Jesus suffered and died in order to take upon Himself that wrath that we had stored up. And so there is now no condemnation or wrath or punishment for those who are trusting in Jesus. Those who have been justified, that is, declared righteous by faith in Jesus, will never experience the condemnation of God. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. When we are justified, our condemnation is removed. There is now no condemnation for those who are united to Jesus. Now, the reason this morning, that may not sound like the sweetest news in all the world to you is because maybe you don't feel the weight of the fact that you are under God's condemnation in the first place. For example, what if I stepped up to this microphone this morning and I announced, I've got good news. I spoke with the judge this morning and you no longer have to spend the next 50 years in prison. How would you feel about that news? I'm assuming most of you could honestly care less. Right? Because you don't think you did anything deserving of 50 years in prison. Right? It's not good news to be relieved of a prison sentence that you weren't facing in the first place. And so when I stand up here and I say this morning, good news, there's no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ. Do you hear that news kind of the same way you hear the news, 
You don't have to spend 50 years in prison. I would submit to you, friends, that if Romans 8.1 is not the sweetest news that your ears have ever heard, then you don't understand what it is you deserve. We deserve to be eternally punished for one single sin. And all of us have committed millions of sins. Sins of thought, sins of speech, sins of motive, sins of omission, sins of commission, sins against each other, etc., etc., etc. We all deserve the full force of God's condemnation. We don't hear language like this anymore, but let me read to you a paragraph from one of the most famous sermons ever preached. It is from Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Here's how Edwards described the condemnation we deserve. He said, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over a fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in His sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in His eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended Him infinitely more than a stubborn rebel ever did His prince, and yet it is nothing but His hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night that you, were not that you were allowed to wake again in this world, and there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped in hell since you arose this morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God provoking His pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending, worship, of his, of attending His solemn worship. And yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not at this very moment drop down into hell. And Edwards continued speaking for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half of God's wrath against sinners for that entire sermon. If you're not a Christian this morning, what this means to you is that you're liable for God's eternal condemnation. Even now, your sins call out to God for judgment and condemnation. Make no mistake about how God feels about you. Perhaps this sounds extreme to you, but consider the awesome holiness and purity and patience of this God whom you have sinned against. My advice is, as you hear this, that this is how God feels about you, my advice is don't try to argue against God about the seriousness of your sin. Oh, it's not really that bad. Everybody does it. My advice is not to do that, but rather my advice is to hear the precious news of Romans 8.1. That there is a way to have the condemnation that you deserve removed from you. This is why this is such good news that should land on us sweeter than any news in all the world. Paul says now, now we can know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. The now Paul is referring to here is the now that the ages have changed because Christ and His death on the cross and His powerful resurrection from the dead have changed everything. The charges have been dropped because of Jesus he was condemned in our place so that we have now no condemnation. 
Our debt has been paid. Our time has been served. Our punishment has been meted out. There is no condemnation for those who are trusting in Jesus. Christians, take a moment to savor this glorious truth. We deserve hell and judgment for all eternity. But there is now no condemnation in Christ. We deserve punishment and torment. But in Jesus, none of that exists. Here's the message of Christianity. Because Jesus died and was resurrected, there is no condemnation for those who are united by faith to Him. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's give our entire lives to Him. He is worth following with all our hearts. But here's the second thing God has done for us. In Jesus... But secondly, in Jesus, God has set us free from sin and death. In Jesus, God has set us free from sin and death. So this is the truth of verse 2. Paul shows us why there is no more condemnation for us. Notice, for or because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here's more glorious news for Jesus' followers. We have been set free But what have we been set free from? And how have we been set free? Well, Paul tells us, notice he says, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, as we have seen throughout the book of Romans, Paul uses the word law in at least a few different ways. Normally, Paul is referring to the law of Moses, God's law in the Old Testament. That seems to be the way Paul is using the word law in verse 3, for example. But in verse 2, it seems Paul is using law to mean principle or rule, as he did back in chapter 7, verse 25. So Paul has been, for three chapters about, has been describing the principle of sin and death. Paul has been describing that sin always leads to death. That's the principle of sin and death. Sin always leads to death. In our flesh, we are slaves to our sin and thus slaves to death. We serve this principle. We serve the principle of sin and death when we offer ourselves to what dishonors God. But Paul says we've been set free from the governing principle. And we've been set free, how? By the law of the Spirit of life. Now, here in verse 2, this is clearly a reference to the Holy Spirit. The principle of the Spirit is freedom and power and life. Now, one of the things you'll notice over the next couple weeks as we make our way through the chapter, Romans chapter 8, you'll notice that there is a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit in this chapter. The Spirit has been mentioned a few times up until this point in the book of Romans, but the Spirit is mentioned at least 20 times in Romans chapter 8. This is a staggering emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit in our salvation and in our sanctification. And this is one of the great titles for the Holy Spirit here in verse 2. Notice this title. He is the Spirit of life. In other words, He's the life-giving Spirit. We are all dead in our sins and the Spirit frees us from sin and death by the power that He gives us to have both abundant life and eternal life. Any and all true life comes by the power of God's Spirit. This has been Paul's point the past few chapters in Romans. We've been set free and we must live as people who are free, 
Not going back to the principle of sin and death, but enjoying the life that the Spirit has given us. And so you have been set free, Paul says. Now live in that freedom. There is no condemnation because we have been set free. You don't have to live to the bondage of the principles of this world anymore. You don't have to live to the bondage of sin and death. Here's the practical significance of no condemnation ever. Here's the practical significance. We are free to not sin. We are free from the principle of sin and death. We are free to obey God from the heart because we have the life-giving Spirit. Can you imagine being a slave to a cruel master for decades and decades of your life? So much so that you are broken, you no longer feel anything, you just do what you're told every day of your life, you have no hope of being free, no hope at all, and one day, in the midst of your despair, one day a long-forgotten relative comes and purchases that freedom from your cruel slave master. How would you feel? What joy would you have? What would freedom taste like in that moment? Friends, we've been set free. Our pardon has been purchased. We've been set free from the power of sin and death. And we've been set free by the life-giving Spirit. And so Paul is saying, let's live with joy and freedom in this because God has set us free. And friends, when God sets us free, we are free indeed. We are free from the law of sin and death. We no longer have to serve that cruel master. Jesus has freed us. But Jesus has also done something else for us. Notice the third thing I want to point you to, the third truth about what God has done. In Jesus, God has fulfilled His law for us. In Jesus... God has fulfilled His law for us. So verses 3 and 4 continue to show us what God has done to give us this promise of no condemnation ever. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in verse 3, it seems Paul is using the word law to refer to the law of God, the Mosaic law. So Paul says the law couldn't do something. Even though the law is good and holy, the law is from God. It still could not remove sin. Paul says it wasn't the law's fault. It wasn't God's law's fault that it couldn't remove our sin. It was sin's fault. It was our sinful flesh fault. The law was weakened and made powerless by our sinful flesh. You see, every Jew who tried to keep the law knew this truth right here. Everyone who tried to follow the law to a T knew that the law could never remove condemnation. In fact, the law was designed to reveal and inflame our condemnation because we know we could never keep it fully. It's impossible in our sinful flesh. And so, what did God do? God did something that the law could never do. God the Father sent His, notice the word, sent His own Son to fulfill the law in our place so that there would be no condemnation ever. Notice how careful Paul is with his language in verse 3. 
Paul doesn't say Jesus came in sinful flesh. That would have sort of been natural to say there. But that would be heresy. Because Jesus never once sinned. He was like us in every way, and yet never sinned. And so Paul says, not flesh, of sinful flesh. That is, he became a man, took on flesh in every way, yet never sinned. He was perfect. He was holy. And notice why the Father sent him. The Father sent his own Son for sin. The ESV actually has a little footnote here indicating that this could be translated as as a sin offering. He sent His Son as a sin offering. He was sent as an offering, as a sacrifice in the place of sin. He is the perfect substitute standing under the condemnation that we deserve. Notice clearly how Paul communicates that this was God's design. This is God's desire. This isn't just something that happened. This is God's plan. This is why Jesus was sent. He condemned sin in His flesh by willingly taking the punishment our sins deserve. You see what Paul is doing? He is preaching the substitutionary atonement here. Jesus took our place so that the requirements of the law would be totally fulfilled in us. This is such great news, friends. Jesus did what the law could never do. He did what the law was powerless to do. The law could point out our sin, but it was powerless to condemn sin. The law could call us to holiness, but it could not make us holy. The law could terrify us, but it had no power to justify us. The law could condemn us, but it could not free us from sin and death. This is why God sent His own Son because we have no power to change ourselves. This is why we need a Savior. Because we have no power to change ourselves. Friends, this is why legalism and works-based righteousness and moralism is so dumb and dangerous. Because your rules, your standards are powerless to change you. They have no power to change you. You could keep every rule ever created and it has no power to change you. And so God did the amazing. He sent His Son to live and die for us all so that His law could be fulfilled on our behalf so that we could bask in the promise that there is now no condemnation ever. And Paul says the result of this work of Jesus is that we've been transformed by the Spirit so that we now walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Listen, if you're not a Christian, I want you to notice just one thing about all of this that we're studying in these first four verses. All of these things that God has done are only true for those in Christ Jesus. If you are not in Christ, you don't have the power to fulfill God's law on your own. Yet, you are condemned and you are bound to sin and death. Only in Jesus can we have no condemnation, freedom from sin, and a perfect record before holy God. See, Jesus is not just a good example or an influential teacher. He is first and foremost a Redeemer who deserves to be trusted. And so the message of this passage is turn from your sin and trust in Jesus now. You want to be in Christ Jesus to have no more condemnation, freedom from sin and death, 
and a perfect record before God. So friends, the burden of this passage is this. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all active in the work of salvation to assure us that we will never be condemned. That is, that we will be fully accepted as righteous by our God. So what does this all mean? How does Romans 8, 1-4 apply to our lives today? Let me mention four brief application thoughts in closing. First, how should we respond to this passage? Number one, praise God for this work. Take a moment to praise God for what He has done for you. Notice in this passage Paul's incredible emphasis on God doing these things. God has done this, not us. God has done this, not us. And so friends, let's take a deep breath and recognize that all the glory for all these good things belong to God. Thank Him that you no longer have condemnation. Thank Him that you are free from the law of sin and death. Thank Him that you have a perfect law-keeping record on your account. Turn these truths into prayers of praise toward your great God. Praise God for these great truths. Secondly, tell others this amazing news. Tell others about this amazing news. This is the sweetest news in all of creation. And if that's true, friends, then it also means that this is the most devastating news as well. Because this means that people who don't know the no condemnation in Jesus are under God's condemnation outside of Jesus. If it's true that those who are in Christ will never be condemned, then that means those outside of Christ will be condemned. But they don't have to be if they turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as Savior. And who is going to tell them about Jesus? Who's going to tell the people in your class about Jesus? Who's going to tell the people in your neighborhood about Jesus? Who's going to tell the people at your family and your family about Jesus? Tell others this amazing news. Third, don't fear punishment for sin. Don't fear punishment for sin. Friends, no condemnation means no more fear of punishment. Listen, sure, God still disciplines His children for sin, but God never punishes or condemns His children for sin. Why? Because Jesus paid it all and God will never require a double payment for sin. Friends, be more happy about this than anything else in all of life. You never have to fear condemnation ever again in the future or right now. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus and therefore we don't have to fear being punished or condemned by our God any longer. And fourth and finally, how should we respond to this text? Don't stay in guilt and shame. Don't stay there. Listen, guilt and shame are gifts of God to lead us to repentance. We should feel guilt and shame over our sin. Listen, guilt and shame are gifts of God, but we should never stay in our guilt and in our shame. Listen, guilt and shame are enemies, are the tools that our enemy uses 
to make us worthless in God's kingdom. The enemy lies to us and tells us God could never use us because of our past shame, because of our past sins. But friends, have you ever read the Bible? The only kind of people God uses is sinners. The only kind of people God uses is people who should wallow in their guilt and shame. Let Romans 8.1 free you from all of that guilt, from all of that shame. There is no condemnation ever. It has been removed. It has been paid for. And God wants you to believe this. He wouldn't say it if He didn't want you to believe it. So yes, feel guilt and shame in your sin. But don't stay there. Stay in this no condemnation. Live in the good of this Gospel truth. How do you battle your guilt and shame? How do you battle it when you feel so weighed down that you messed up again and again and again and you can't sleep at night wondering whether you even are a believer or not? How do you battle that? But you battle it with this truth. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for me because I'm united to Jesus. Jesus took my place. He took my condemnation. And therefore, I've been set free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, I have a perfect record of righteousness before God's account because there is therefore now no condemnation in Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank You for this greatest of all news. Thank You, Jesus, for taking our condemnation on Yourself so that we can live in the freedom that You have purchased for us. Thank You, Father, for the for these amazing truths. Thank You for what You have done. And I pray this news would change us. I pray this news would propel us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. God, help us. Thank You. We love You. We are grateful for what You have done. And we give You glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.